Uh, it's a beautiful thing to be here at Emmanuel. Uh, we just love to come here. Uh, this is uh, our, uh, our other church. And uh, walking through the doors and uh, parking here, we just feel at home. Uh, I've been coming to Emmanuel for many years. I've stopped counting, but I remember, I stopped counting how many times, but I remember the first time we came with my wife and our son Isaac was one year, was in the year 2000. And it was the month of November, it was really very cold. Um, and at that time when you looked at us externally, we looked, okay, we came through here on our way to Portland, Oregon, to go to seminary in Portland, Oregon at Mount Noma University. And those days I remember Pastor Steve was helping us and supporting us to go to school and a number of people. But inside of us, we are very broken. And the reason we are very broken, I had personally lived as a refugee for like 32 years of my life. Uh, my daddy, more than that. And then at the end of what would have been the refugee crisis, my home country of Rwanda had a genocide. And the genocide was the climax, really, of the entire refugee crisis. A million people killed in 90 days. And now I'm on my way out of Africa to America to go to school. And behind me, I'm leaving thousands of orphans. People had returned as refugees, a broken country, and the church in Rwanda in many ways which was unaccepted because the church had been involved in the genocide partly and the government was not happy about what happened and how the Christians, especially the priests, had very much been involved in the political landslide that caused much of the trouble in the country. So here I'm in America, I'm in a new country, my wife, my baby, I'm going to school, but uh, I was restless. I was restless because uh, the pictures of the children and the families and the people who had left behind uh, were actually not leaving me. I was in America, but uh, not seeing American television. My television was in Rwanda. And uh, out of that time, I met a professor, Dr. Tim Robnett. And Dr. Tim Robnett, he became my mentor for a period of three years. And Dr. Tim helped me download the dream mixed with doubts and concerns for the future. And he taught me how to write a strategic plan for a ministry I would go out to and do in the nation of Rwanda. And I remember when I was working with Dr. Tim, God put on my hand and, and on my heart a strategy. And the strategy was that we would go to Rwanda and preach the gospel in a way that's undivided. I call it the undivided mission. It's the whole idea of preaching the gospel with the two hands, whereby we would plant churches, train pastors, build schools, sponsor children, build orphanages those days, 
And today, as I speak, we have planted six churches, a thriving Bible college in the nation of Rwanda. I wouldn't be ashamed to say the best Bible college in the nation of Rwanda. We are training pastors from different church backgrounds. This coming May, we'll open up a hospital of 50 beds. And our first hire for the first year will be about 60 people working in the hospital. A number of your doctors here have really been on the forefront of the development of this medical center. And on the top of that, 9,000 children are being sponsored in the nation of Rwanda. Um, God has done great great things. My wife runs a family center uh, for uh, marginalized women to give them an opportunity to be trained, to be counseled, but to hear the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the central thing about African New Life Ministries is the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that is very important to us. Today, I want to preach from the book of Galatians, and in the book of Galatians, chapter 2, from verse 1, we see Paul visiting Jerusalem after 14 years. And Paul's visit to Jerusalem is amazing. A number of things come out of this visit. And in his visit, obviously, he wanted to make sure that he, he had not run in vain. He wanted even to test the content of the gospel. So now here is Paul in Jerusalem. Paul is meeting James. He's meeting Peter. He's meeting John. Uh, he's gone. He goes there with Titus and Barnabas. What a wonderful time. I wanted to be in the middle of that. You can imagine actually the kind of discussions that take place there. Paul Peter is a very practical guy, he's a preacher, he's a miracle worker, he's very passionate for the gospel. I imagine James has his own position and his positions about the gospel. You know, God calls us, but we, really, uh, we are really very different people. And then I love Paul because Paul is very scholarly. <laughs> He's a very smart guy. God gave him the gift of the brain. And we thank God that God gave him that gift because that guy's writings may have sustained the church. He systemized the church and put the doctrine in a systematic manner for us to be able to, to get it. So here is the story of their meeting in verse, uh, verse Eight. Uh, I will read from my, uh, my place here. It says, For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle of the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle of the Gentiles. It says, Peter, God called you to the Jews. God called me to the Gentiles. Now, I thank God Paul was called to the Gentiles. We may have a few Jews here, and we thank God for you. Obviously, through you, we have received the gospel. But for me, I'm a Gentile boy. And uh, this Gentile boy received the gospel, obviously, through these kind of ministries to the Gentiles. And he says, James, Cephas, John, those esteemed as 
pillars of the gospel. Gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace God had given to us on the mission field and what was happening out there. The Bible says they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they should go to the circumcised. That's a good division. Sometimes those divisions are good. Go to the Gentiles, I go to the, to the, to the Jews. Uh, I think this year or next year, we might have a good split at our church. Uh, we have a number of members of our church who really come from very far, and they've created a community. So I'm looking towards the day when we split our church and plant a church for them so that they can have a church in their neighborhood and have the gospel. So everything goes on well for all of these guys. They agree on the gospel. They accept Barnabas. They accept Paul. They accept Titus. They accept the Greeks. What a beautiful time when you have the Jews and the Greeks, obviously, together in agreement about the gospel. I want to tell you that the gospel is the same in America, in China, in Russia, in Africa, the message of the cross is the same. The message is that, guys, we are broken. We are sinners. And God, in his own plan and love, he chose to redeem us. And he redeems us only, only, only through his son, Jesus Christ. He sent him to be a ransom for our sins. That through his death, when we accept him, obviously his death and, and resurrection, when we accept him, we are reconciled to God. We are justified, just as if never sinned. God accepts us. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't have how much you've been broken, the gospel is the hope to all broken humanity. It's the hope. Emite is the hope. It's the hope to the drunkards. It's the hope to the divorced to stretch it. It's a hope to the runaway child. It's a hope. Is, the gospel is the hope to the poor. The gospel is the hope to the black, to the white, to the red, to the blue, to every color in all the nations of the world. The whole gospel is the hope and central, and I love the gospel. And now I can imagine in this meeting, I'm imagining Paul, the scholar, says, you know, I believe in the gospel because the gospel is the power of God and to bring men and women unto salvation. It's the power. And he's excited about the deliverance and the power found in the gospel. And I still believe with Paul, and I still preach like Paul preached. He, uh, he preached and said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God. I really believe today we are seeing less conversions than ever before because we are ashamed of the gospel. We have a generation, we have a people, we have a church and churches not only here but even in Africa that are really intimidated by sinners, 
They are intimidated by university professors who intimidate students in the classroom about the gospel. They make them ashamed and embarrassed of the gospel. They teach things like tolerance. To me, tolerance is about you being different from me and tolerating the differences between us. But when it comes to Jesus, no, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and forever. And Jesus Christ is our central life. So I, don't, I, don't, I have no tolerance there. Okay? <laughs> I tell you the gospel. Now someone is going to say, you know, you're going to offend people. You are putting your Jesus in their face. Oh no, it's not, the, it's our, this is our Jesus. And I want to be on the list of those who offend them because we live in a time where people are offended by everything. So if <laughs> I'm going to offend them by preaching the gospel, that's no problem. That's a good offense. <laughs> okay? Because it's actually an offense that brings them nearer, closer and closer to their redemption. God wants to redeem us. But then something beautiful also comes up in this conference. And they say in verse 10, I'll go back a little bit. They agreed about the split. Paul got the Gentiles, and, and, and then Peter got the circumcised and your friends. But in verse 10, they say, and I guess it's James who said this. All they asked us was that we should continue to remember the poor. The very thing I'd been eager to do all along. You remember the poor. They said, we agree on the gospel, but I also want us to agree on the whole idea of remembering the poor, preaching the gospel with the two hands, compassion, love, truth, uh, the message of the kingdom teaching, you know, preaching the gospel compassionately, preaching the gospel with, with love. You can resist my words, but you cannot resist my love. Okay? And listen here, James, the brother of Jesus Christ, obviously, joined Peter and are making this up. Okay? And John, in meeting Barnabas and Titus and Paul, regarding the content of the gospel, and they agree. And they agree on the, future mission, on the future of missions. Some to the Jews and some to the Gentiles. This James is the same apostle who wrote the piece of James, the brother of Jesus, which is known for its references to the priority of the poor and the church's call to help the needy. It is therefore not surprising that the topic of poverty came up, and I guess this time with James, I'm just speculating, with James, when they met with Paul in Jerusalem. You know, I think it was like a politician trying to get a big legislation and someone ties his interest on it and says, you know, you also have to pass this one if we are going to pass this one. So they pass the content of the gospel, but they say, please, you remember the poor. You know, it's the same James 
who teaches about the proper treatment of the poor is very ethical in his approach to Christianity. And he talks about the care of widows and the orphans. James 5.15. He commands the elders to care for the sick in the churches. My guess if he was here, he would also not only tell the elders to take care of the sick, he would also tell the doctors in the church to take care of the sick. Okay, uh, it's this same James who warns his readers that the wealthy ought not to treat the poor with contempt and insist on special privileges for them. Treat the same, every person the same way. It's the same James, in fact, in 5, chapter 1, verse, chapter 5, verse 1 to 6, gives a stunning condemnation of the wealthy who store up treasure on earth and abuse those who work for them. Man, he's very serious with the ethical standards of Christianity. He says this is the way to do life. So this is the man who speaks to Paul, and Paul says, I agree. I agree. The only, the, the only thing they asked us is to remember the poor, and Paul says, this is the very thing I was eager to do. I want to do it. I'm a scholar, but I want to do it. Okay? I'm a seminary professor, but I want to do it. I want to reach out to the marginalized and the poor in my, in my community. And you see Paul on his journeys. Sometimes when I look at Paul, I sometimes compare my journeys uh, with Alan Hotchkiss. He should be here. Man, we've gone everywhere in America preaching the gospel, but we've also gone everywhere in America challenging people to sponsor children, to change lives. So Paul is on these journeys out there taking the gospel. And I love what he says in Romans chapter 15, verse 25 to 28. And he says, now, however... I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. It's like a, Paul is going on a mission trip to Jerusalem in service of God's people there. It's beautiful when we get some of your elders, especially Joyce, and, and they come with hammers to Rwanda to serve God's people, men with hammers on a mission. And these guys can hammer nails in a ceiling, in a door, in a bench. And then at the end of the day, in the evening, they are preaching the gospel to men. That is serving God with the two hands, the hammer and the gospel. And he says, for the Macedonian and the Achaia were pleased, were happy to make a contribution for who? For the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They want to take care of them. In fact, Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 to 3. And he says about the collection, he's a fundraiser again. And he says, now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of the week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up 
so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I'll give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem to the poor. Again, you see Paul, the scholar, engaged with fundraising and helping out and taking care of the poor. You know, I note a few things, and this is very important. Practically speaking, our theology must match our sociology to be relevant to the society and the communities we serve. When we went to Rwanda, in a smaller place called Kayonza, we wanted to start a school in Kayonza. And I remember when we were beginning the school there, we had so many challenges. And our biggest challenge was that the same area, about less than 100 meters from where we wanted to start the school, Muslims had a mosque. They did not only have a mosque, the Muslims went to the government and got a building permit to build a school before we got it. And the, when we went over to get a permit to build a school, the government told us, we have given the Muslims a permit to build a school for the children in this community. We cannot give it to you. You are so close to the Muslims. We want you to go a little bit farther away, and we shall give you a permit. But we don't want Muslims and Christians together. You guys might fight. It's the responsibility of the government to keep peace. I did not want to get out of Kayonza. I love that town. Didn't want to get out. I wanted to see a church in that city because I believed that a church and a ministry in that city would suffocate their growth. Finally, God in his own miraculous working through prayer, the Muslims failed to have money. They could not raise the money in time. We raised all the money and they gave us the permission to build the school. Now, that is beautiful, but wait what is coming. So, this school turns up to be the best school in the region, and one of the best schools at one time, number one, number two in the entire nation. So who comes to the school? This Christian school where we teach the Bible, Muslim children. Who want to come into child sponsorship and be sponsored? Muslim poor kids. We receive them with open hands, with compassion, with love. These Muslims could not listen to my preaching. They could not come to my crusades. But listen, they are coming to the Christian school because they want a better life for their children. Their kids come to New Life School, give, learn the Bible, give their lives to Jesus, and we baptize all the time. I mean, we baptize all, all, all the time. So what is happening? We are practicing our theology in the neighborhood where we live. Again, practically speaking, I want to say, our hermeneutic must bring together our head, our heart, and our hands. 
In other words, if you are hermeneutic, is just on the level of the head, you are just a philosopher. We want to bring that to the level of our passions. We want to be passionate for Jesus. We want the world to see that we are not a bored community. Truly, Christ is living in us and there is life in us. But at the end of the day, we want to serve them. We want to serve people. We want to serve them. Sometimes people in Rwanda, I really mess them up. Because in the African culture, they are used to the kind of pastor who sits behind the chair and is very powerful and is a bishop. Some of them call me a bishop. But then sometimes they find this bishop among the children, among the poor, and he's gone to Kajeo, and he's with a mission trip, and they don't get it. But you know, at the bottom of my life, there is no way I can manage to teach the Bible without actually going where I can practice it. So that my heart can connect with my hands, so that I can put my feet where I put my words, okay? And stand in that very place and serve God's people. Our gospel should help us to build the kingdom of God here on earth. By following moral teachings, Christ's moral teachings, and his compassion for the helpless. I call this a new reformation. Why do I call it a new reformation? There, uh, there was a reformation. The first reformation was led by Martin Luther. Was uh, people like Zwingli and Calvin? I love those guys, man. They were smart. I've studied historical theology, and uh, if you have a logical mind, <laughs> you're gonna enjoy historical theology. Okay, but as good as they were, especially Martin Luther, he put a big emphasis on the Book of Romans. And I think that was the need in those days. The need was the book of the Romans. The need was the restoration of the gospel, faith by accepting Jesus Christ and faith alone. Don't add on anything else. It's not by your works. It's not by your melt. It's not by climbing the church and paying indulgences. It's faith and faith alone. And, and you know, he did a good job. He read the book of Romans many, many times. He must have written a good dissertation on the book of Romans. But you know, he forgot to write another one, or he didn't have the time to write another dissertation on the book of James. So that he can combine the book of James and the book of Romans together. Okay, and I call that serving God with the two hands. In the African worldview, I have developed my own way of saying it. I call it serving God with the two hands, the undivided mission. It's connecting the two hands of the gospel. Connecting the two hands of the gospel. And I learned this connection of the two hands of the gospel from the gospels. First of all, I'm an evangelist. Okay, I want to see people come to Jesus. And I want to see the gospel connected. So we used to go and do crusades. We, I met Pastor Steve. The first time we met, we were on a crusade. And I love the crusades. I am a crusader. In fact, 
masses energize me. When I see many people hearing the gospel, I preach better. I have more energy and strength. Uh, and I want to see them come and to the altar call and, and, and repent. But then, after doing a number of crusades, at the end of the day, would leave children on the crusade with no food, leave all these hundreds and thousands of people who came walking with nowhere to go home. Uh, children come to your crusade for five days, they don't go to school. And I thought that's unfair. I need to connect the two hands. Why? Because Jesus, Jesus demonstrated the kingdom of God in two ways. He connected the gospel. And I started learning from scripture that Christ has provided a pattern for me to do ministry, to do missions, to reach out. And when you come to Rwanda, and for you who come to Rwanda, you are going to find out this is the way we do ministry. This is the pattern. Right here, you have the church, and across here, you have the hospital. And when you cross from the church, straight away there is a daycare for children whose mothers come to the training uh, to learn sewing and to hairdress and to do skills that can improve their lives. And those mothers used to leave their children at home and the kids would be abused. So we provide a place for those kids to find a safe place while the mothers are learning. And then when you go to another location, you're going to find other acts of mercy and love into the community. Jesus provided a pattern. Number one, he taught the gospel. Jesus taught the gospel. He did not compromise the gospel. Jesus made the Pharisees offended because of the gospel. The priests were offended because of the gospel. The Roman leaders were offended because of the gospel. And this man just hammered it. He preached it. But what I love about Jesus, he preached the gospel with love. He preached the gospel with care. He preached the gospel with compassion. He preached with the gospel in such a way that he connected with the people. He built bridges before he connected with the people. The Bible says in Matthew 4.23, Jesus went throughout Galilee and he had a teaching ministry and he taught in their synagogues. He taught the gospel. He taught, he gave them the good news. In fact, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, he was very clear about his teaching, how you can get in heaven, you know, how you, how you, how you, you can change your life. Jesus was very clear, but at the same time, this same Jesus who had a teaching ministry, he also had a ministry of compassion. The, uh, 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 on those who are suffering. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 to 24, the Bible says, healing every disease and sickness among other people. He touched them. In fact, he touched some people who were not even thankful. You remember the ten lepers. Two were, five were thankful, the other five were not thankful. But anyway, he touched them, okay? News about him spread all over Syria. 
And the people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering from severe pain, demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and the Bible says he healed them. He had compassion on them. He touched them. He touched their bodies and he touched their souls. And I really believe that is the message we have as a church, that we have capacity and the grace has been given unto us to both touch the bodies and touch the soul at the same time. And what I like about this approach, it seems that everyone in the church can engage in serving the Lord. I may not be a preacher, but I'm a doctor. And uh, doctors may not be as loud as I preach, but let me tell you, when you, st- when you sit before a doctor and you are sick, you are going to believe everything the doctor says. So the doctor better tell you about Jesus because you're going to believe what he's saying. You know, when a nurse comes and touches your hand, she may never be able to preach like I preach, but man, you're going to feel that touching your soul. You're going to feel the love. The words may be few, but those words are actually touching. Jesus lived out the gospel. He lived out the gospel. How did he live out the gospel? Number one, he assisted the poor. He assisted the poor. He was there. He preached the gospel to the poor. In fact, Jesus says he had a special anointing upon him to preach good news to the poor. Okay, he assisted the poor. Number two, Jesus cared for the sick. We've just said that. He cared for the sick. He had real interest in those who are sick. You know, pastors that have real interest in the sick, by the way, God blesses their ministry. I have seen some incidences when I go to the hospital and visit a family. Man, we visited a family. They had just lost a baby in the hospital. I remember with my wife, we touched them for forever, up to this day. They are still thankful. I'm looking towards a ministry of visiting the sick in the hospital we have. In fact, at our church, some of our church members have started the ministry of visiting the sick. But also look out there to Jovanus. Some of you guys here remember Jovanus. An American doctor touched Jovanus. Jovanus had bent legs. If Jovanus was never touched by Christian doctors that were not just about money but cared for the poor, he would be walking like a dog today. His weight on the top could not carry his legs. And God used Christian doctors who had compassion for him. A number of people advocated for him and look at Jovanus' standing. Jovanus plays soccer. Jovanus climbs trees. Jovenus has come to Jesus. Jovenus' family has come to Jesus. And his village in Kajeo know the power of Jesus Christ to set the captives free and heal the sick. That is the gospel. That is, that is the gospel that's irresistible. He fed the hungry himself. You remember the situation about the 5,000? After teaching, his disciples said, thank you very much for teaching, but uh, pastor, you are very tired. You need to go home. 
let these people go home and find their food, find their way. And Jesus says, no, wait a little bit. I've given them spiritual food, but this guy is hungry. I want to give them some physical food. And he fed the 5,000. Jesus had a feeding ministry. He took care of the hungry himself. He commands us to love our neighbor. He commands us to love our neighbor again and again. He says, love your neighbor. It's right there. He commands us to love our neighbor. And who is your neighbor? Your neighbor is that person who is struggling, who is, who is without food, who is sick. The elderly woman in your neighborhood who doesn't have children. That's your neighbor. He educated children. And then you're going to say, how did he educate children? You're overstretching it. How did Jesus educate children? You know, one day Jesus said, let the little kids come unto me. I cannot imagine, I can't imagine that those kids left the face of Jesus without Jesus doing a Sunday school lesson for them. Okay? He, he loved the children. He advocated for the abused. You, 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 you remember the Samaritan woman. But in my context, how many children have been abused and neglected? Jesus advocated for them. And as I finish, listen to this. Finally, John the Baptist was coming to the end of his ministry. When he was coming to the end of his ministry, he really wanted to know that the guy preaching out there is preaching a true gospel. He's the Messiah. He's the real one. And he sent some guys to go check on him and bring a report back to him. And listen to what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 11, verse 4 to 5. Jesus told them, Go back to John and tell him what you've heard and what you've seen. Let me tell you. Lost people want to hear the gospel, but they also want to see the gospel. They want to see us live out the gospel. They want to see us different from the kind of crowd we live in today. They want to see us different. They want to they wanna see our compassion. They want to see our justice. They want to see our humanness. Ubuntu Gachu in Kinyarwanda would say, they want to see that. They want to see that we have a heart. Yes, we have a smart head, but we have a heart. By the way, Christians are very smart people. Very smart people. Christians are smart. Some of these secular people think they are smart. They lie themselves. We are very smart people. Okay? We are very smart people as Christians. In fact, when you look at him, they, all these great inventions, you can go back and find out there are many, many Christians behind great inventions. We are smart people. But they also want to see our compassion. And look at what he says. He says, the blind see. You go tell John, the blind see. They are receiving new glasses from heaven. They see. They see. You know, I remember when your doctors came to Rwanda and they brought glasses for the blind old women. And for the first time, this blind woman would see her grandkids and see her friends and be able to read the Bible again. To that woman, that is the best entrance of the gospel to her heart. The lame walk. 
The lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and he said the good news is being preached to the poor. They are receiving the good news. That is what the church is called to be. That is a church that is missional, that's reaching out, that's changing nations and the world. In fact, uh, I love the Great Commission. I love the Great Commission. Jesus told us, go ye unto all the nations. And he said, teach, make disciples, baptize them. I love baptisms. The only thing that kind of really uh, hinders me from doing a lot of baptisms, many times when we do baptisms, I hand them over to other pastors. Uh, to do the baptisms. Uh, sometimes I do some. I would love to do every baptism, but I don't like cold water. <laughs> so, some, some, I let those who like the cold water do the baptisms. So one day I think we're going to have a warm baptism. Joyce, if you can make that happen for me on your mission trip, I can baptize more people. Okay? Just a warm baptism. I want to stand in warm water. But, okay, but look here. He says, go take the Great Commission. That is very important. But at the same time, he talks about the great commandment. And I want to say today that the great commission and the great commandment, they are compatible. They are compatible. I want to confirm that they are compatible. I'm not going to write another dissertation after establishing this, but if I had time, I'd write 200 pages to prove that the great commandment and the great commission are compatible. And the mission is not divided. The gospel is the same. It's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus did not call on the Roman government. He did not call on the Roman Empire. He did not call on other people. He called on his disciples. And he said, my disciples, do what? Love one another. Love those people. Here is the great commandment. This is how they're going to know. Okay, when you're united, but then when you are in love for the lost. It's a beautiful thing to be united in the church. I love unity. I want to have unity in the church. But at the same time, I want my unity to spread out to the lost. I just don't want to have a club. Okay? I don't want to have a church club. I want to have a church that touches the lost. In fact, sometimes I shake up my church members when they become comfortable. Sometimes we can be very comfortable in the church that we don't want other people who are strange to come in. So I was telling them a few years ago that one of these days you're going to get some people with green hair, red hair, uh, braided hair walking into the church. They are different. But you know, we have to love them. And we have to love them so much till we bring them to the knees. Till we bring them to accept our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, when you love people, you become irresistible. You can, someone can resist your words, he can resist your theology, but he cannot resist when you love them. You can resist my words, you can resist my face. You can resist the way I do things. But when I love that Muslim kid... Mm -mm. Hadija is going to come to Jesus because I love her and I want to show her the love of my Lord Jesus Christ. So let us go.
And let us go and serve God with the two hands. Let us go. Let us go and change the nations. Let us go. Let us go. Thank you. Church, let us go and depopulate hell and depopulate heaven. It is possible. You know, I don't want to see a populated hell. I want to see a depopulated hell. Because I want to see more people coming to Jesus. I want to stand before him for 30, 40, 50 days and introduce as many as those I brought to Christ to him. That is going to be a beautiful day. And when we serve him and connect the gospel with the two hands, we are irresistible. And we bring glory and honor to the Lord because we show his love and show his truth at the same time. And therefore our truth becomes the real truth that's objective. Let's pray. God, we come before you. We thank you, God, for you have entrusted us with the truth of the gospel. You have found us faithful and you've called us to be ministers of the gospel. Lord, I ask you to give us wisdom, to give us strength, to give us the same grace you gave to Paul and Barnabas and Titus to the extent that they were accepted that you had given them grace to go to the Gentiles. Give us grace. Give us a heart. Give us hands that serve you. Unleash us into the missions field and use us to bring thousands and millions to you and depopulate hell for us to be able to populate your city in Jerusalem and bring glory to you. Thank you again for this church, for this ministry, for the elders, for the pastors, for their commitment to missions. Thank you for this congregation for the ways you've used them to touch us in Rwanda. It's amazing how one church can be so used by the Lord to touch a nation, to touch a city. Father God, to put their foot among us and minister to those who are marginalized, but at the same time, train pastors, bring the good news. What a wonderful God we have and a wonderful partnership. Pray for your blessings upon your people, and I thank you, and I love you, and I commit them to you. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Emmanuel with Pastor Jesse Johnson. You can find more resources like this at ibcva.com. Here is a parting word from Pastor Jesse. If you have any questions about what you heard today, or if you want to learn more about what it means to follow Christ, please visit our church website, ibcva.com. If you're not a member of a local church and you live in the Washington, D.C. area, we'd love to have you worship with us here at Emmanuel. We're located in Northern Virginia, and for more information about when and where we worship, check out our church website. I hope to personally meet you this Sunday after our service. But no matter where you live, it's our hope that everyone who uses this resource is involved in their own local church. Now may God bless you this week as you seek Jesus constantly, serve the Lord faithfully, and share the gospel boldly.